Welcome to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. I am Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. More than 65 million Americans right now are serving as a caregiver for a loved one. Maybe it's a child with special needs, somebody who's had a trauma or a disease or some type of uh, neurological event. Maybe it's somebody with addiction, with alcoholism or substance abuse. Whatever the chronic impairment, there's always a caregiver. And if those numbers are here in this country, imagine what they are worldwide. And thanks to you and thanks to American Family Radio, this program is available worldwide. People can access it streaming at AFR.net. And then our podcast also goes uh, into, we're downloaded in over 100 countries now. And I'm stunned at the places where this program reaches in countries that I never dreamed would download a radio program for family caregivers. So the need is great, and we are glad that you are here and being a part of this program. Speaking of around the world, many years ago when we first went over to Ghana with our prosthetic limb outreach, Standing with Hope, this was like the first trip that Gracie and I took to Ghana. And I'd never been outside the United States at that point. This was, this was way back, almost 20 years ago. And we went to a large church in the port city of Tema, which is near the Togo border. And it is, uh, is over in eastern Ghana. And it's right there on the Gulf of, of, of Guinea. It's a very large church. And Gracie and I spoke and, and performed there. And afterwards... This man, I was introduced to this man. He, uh, he was waiting outside and with some others around him, and he was a striking man. I mean, tall. I'm six feet tall, and he was a good five or six inches taller than me. Big guy. And he had what they call the national costume, the traditional costume they wear. And it's, and in his case, it was a, a, uh, a long white tunic over pants that are kind of um, blousy, and he had gold trim around it. And he was just, again, it's just a striking man. And he introduced himself. What I thought I heard him say was, and he's got that thick Ghanaian British accent. And it says, I am the King Amos. And I was like stunned because I, you know, I knew they had royalty there in Ghana. And I, but I didn't think I would be meeting anybody. And, and, and I, that was royal. And I didn't know what to say. I, I've, I mean, I've never met a king before. I've I've have met some heads of state, and after this event, I met um not well. I met the president of the United States, which is sitting president, and then I met a a uh, the head of the Blackfoot Nation out here in Montana, who recently passed away was last year. Or so his name was Chief Earl Oldperson, and by that time, I had a little bit more decorum and knew what to say, but I didn't know what to say to this man. I said, sir, I don't even know what to call you. He said, well, just call me Amos. And I was like, sir, I can't do that. But he he was very gracious. He kept chatting. We talked for a bit. And I sat there just kind of trying not to mess up and trying to, not to say something stupid, which is, is difficult for me, as you could imagine. And he was called away. And I went to a reception that the pastor of that, church was throwing for Gracie and me. Uh, we went and met, and there was a room full of folks, and I, I was very excited, and I, I told the pastor, I just met the king. And he looked at me kind of funny. The pastor looked at me and said, what king? 
And I said, the king, Amos. You know, and I was just exuberant, excited. And the pastor thought for a minute. He had just this real puzzled look on his face, and he thought for a moment. And then he exploded in laughter. And he looked around at the group there, and he said something to them in their native language. I think it was Ewa or Tree. I don't know which one it was, but he he spoke in his native language, and then they started laughing. And, and I'm sitting there just getting a little bit more embarrassed by the moment. And I asked him, I said, what, what, what's going on? And he kept laughing, and he looked at me. He said, you met a church officer. You met Deacon Amos, not the King Amos. <laughs> But I could have sworn he said the king, but he was deacon. He was a deacon. And they all were just laughing, and and I had to laugh as well, and I'm sure you are as well because it was kind of a moment. But, you know, as I thought about that over the years, you know, perceptions clouds our hearing. And and I allowed my my eyes and my mind to, to affect my hearing. Because I, I, there was nobody around him that was like security or anything like that. But he looked so impressive. He looked regal. He was, you know, just really a striking individual. And what I heard matched up with what I thought I was looking at. And so I went with it. The king. <laughs> and I've been over to Ghana many times since then. And so I've learned how to better understand the dialect just as they've had to understand my southern accent and i've i've also had to ask them on a side note please stop me if i'm saying things that don't make sense to you all because they're very polite and you don't realize how much you speak in the vernacular until you go to a foreign country and you have to work at being understood but i've thought about this over the years and you know my mistake only resulted in laughter i mean it was it's a funny story But many misconstrued conversations can result in hurt feelings, resentment, and fractured relationships. Now think about that as a caregiver. How many times did we respond to something when it that's not what was really going on? But nevertheless, or not actually respond, how many times did we react to it? And we react with way too much because we thought we understood something. We thought we heard something. And it was filtered through our strain and our stress and our discomfort or our weariness or whatever else. I cannot be the only one. You know, caregiving breeds isolation. And isolation distorts our perception. And it's something we got to fight against all the time as caregivers. If you're not fighting against this now, give it some time. You will. And when our isolation distorts our perception, it always, always, always leads to significant challenges. You know, we can ask for clarification. We may feel stupid, but there's really no stupid questions. We can always ask for clarification, regardless of the embarrassment. Ask for clarification, because that always trumps misunderstanding. I'd rather risk being embarrassed and make sure I clearly understood than let my ego or my reluctance to be embarrassed 
allow a great misunderstanding to happen, and then a relationship gets fractured. Now, think about that in your life. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever been in that situation where you thought you heard something? Turns out that wasn't what was going on, and we allowed ourselves to run with that. I mean, I've been there many times. And we allow ourselves to run with that, and it can create some real problems. Um, there's a, a psychologist, Edward De Bono, not related to uh, Cher or Sonny. But he, uh, he said that studies show that 90% of error in thinking is due to error in perception. 90% of error in thinking is due to error in perception. And that's what he said. He's a trained psychologist, a very famous individual. Think about how we get it wrong, our perception. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by what? The renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. The whole point of that is for us to train our mind be renewed in our mind. Don't believe everything you think. Don't always run with perception. There may be more going on than you think. You may be meeting a deacon instead of the king. So though in all fairness, they have very striking deacons over there. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. We'll be right back. There's a culture war raging in America, and like it or not, we're in the battle. Sandy Rios, host of Sandy Rios in the Morning. For 40 plus years, American Family Association has been fighting for biblical values in America. We've been here to shine the light of Christ into a dark world and to stand against the evil of the day. And by God's grace, we're making a difference. One vital way that you can join forces with us is through a charitable gift annuity with the AFA Foundation. The charitable gift annuity will benefit you and help ensure AFA is in the fight for years to come. You can learn more about charitable annuities and other financial products at afafoundation.net or call 800-326-4543, extension 345. That's 800-326-4543, extension 345. The AFA Foundation, the Financial Stewardship Division of the American Family Association. A Moment of Truth with Gary Bryden of the Association of Independent Methodists. Paul admonished Timothy, let no man despise thy youth. Paul encouraged him to not be intimidated by those older because of his youth. He was to be faithful and true to the gospel of Christ. The story is told of a great German teacher who always politely removed his hat before a group of young people. He would ask, what future great men or women might be among you? What possibilities here? What makers of future history? Have you ever thought about your future, your total future? Jesus Christ can make a difference in your possibilities and in your eternity. To choose Christ is to live eternally. Now that's a future that's out of this world. The Association of Independent Methodists, like-minded congregations doing together what can't be done separately. Visit aim2020.com.
Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. This is Peter Rosenberg, and this is the program for you as a family caregiver. Are your feet on the rock? That is My Feet Are on the Rock by I Am They. And that's a great lyric. When I feel my hope about to break, I will cling to your unchanging grace. Let the waters come and the earth give way. I'll be dancing in the rain. My feet are on the rock. That is a place that I'd like for all of us to be as family caregivers. That our feet are on the rock because we are going to have the storms breaking over us. We are going to be assailed when we're at our weakest. And if we're not anchored, how are we going to hold up? What's going to happen? Speaking of feet, I was talking to my doctor this week. (laughs) What a segue. I was talking to my doctor this week because my left foot really hurts. And I'm not sure what's going on. Now, some of you have heard the foot saga going on with me over the years with my bunion. I named him Paul. And I heard horror stories about people who had it operated on. Let me know what you think. I don't know that I want to do that. And I can't think of a good time for, for me to be on crutches for six weeks. And I've heard that the success rate with that type of surgery is a little bit sketchy. But that's it. I went to the doctor the other day just because I had to get this looked at. This was very painful. And this is a wonderful doctor out here in Montana. Just just love him to pieces. And he's been around a long time. He's, he's seen a lot of things. And he said, oh, I know exactly what's going on. He said, Do you, does this happen at this time of day? And this happened, this, this? He said, I said, yes. It's like he was, you know right there with me on it for every painful step. And he said, oh, yeah, this is what's going on. And he had me stand barefoot, and he said, as you get older, you've, you're losing that springiness, that bow, that that tendon that, that keeps that arch going, and you're getting flat feet. I mean, that's just the way it is. Uh, congratulations on getting older, he said. You're getting flat feet. And that left one is really taking the brunt. And he said, there's a special type of arches. And he showed me, because he said, I have it. And you get these and you just order them and put them in all your shoes. Make sure you get the right size that it fits right on the money there. And it's going to give you that relief that you need. And, you know, you could get wider shoes, bigger shoes, whatever, you know, that kind of thing. But he, he knew what to do. But as he explained the process and talked about how the foot has changed with age, and wear and tear. And the things he described are exactly what happens to us as caregivers. That we lose that ability to spring back. We, we are stretched so thin. We are pushed so hard that we become brittle and, and feel a great deal of pain. We're, we're in a lot of pain as caregivers. And things are hurting as a result of this in other areas of our lives. For example, if you're feeling the pinch financially, is it just money that is causing this or is there something else? I understand that money can be a real problem. Believe me, I've been there. I am there. But, but is that the real problem? Sometimes the pain we're feeling in one area is because of a dysfunction going on in another area. And this was driven home to me by my podiatrist back in Nashville. I told you this story. I went in there and I had this really sharp pain on the left side of my foot. And he said, well, it's because your walking gait is thrown off because of this deformity of this bunion. He said, I bet your left knee hurts too. And I said, yeah, it does. 
He said, the pain you're feeling is coming from a different area. You're wanting me to treat where that pain is. But there's more going on here. And I thought, wow, what a, what a lesson for me as a caregiver. We feel the pinch of a certain acute pain, something that's happening right now. But it's happening because of something else that's going on, some type of deformity, some type of dysfunction. And it all has to do with balance in our life. Where are we standing? How are we standing? What are we standing upon? These are all issues that are worthy of our time as caregivers to explore. If we don't ask these questions, then we're just going to keep stumbling around in pain and be ignorant and not knowing what's going on with us. And we keep treating the symptoms, but we don't go to the root cause. Is the root cause of your distress the behavior of your loved one? Really? Is that really it? Or is there something more going on? Is it the way you're reacting to it? Is it the emotional attachments that you're putting to it? Is it the way you're getting hooked into these things and it affects your self-worth, your peace of mind, your understanding of life, your understanding of God's provisions, whatever? Because as long as there is something that pushes against us, there will be friction. And if all we're doing is treating the pressure, we're not getting the root source of why is there friction? What's going on here? What is happening to us? Why do we get so mad? Why do we get so irritated? Why do we act so resentfully and with such bitterness? And I go back to this course of the song. When I feel my hope about to break, I will cling to your unchanging grace. Let the waters come and the earth give way. I'll be dancing in the rain. My feet are on the rock. Well, what does that mean as a caregiver? How do we apply that principle, which kind of goes back to the one of my favorite hymns, one of those 25 hymns everybody ought to know, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Let me step over to the caregiver keyboard here. I love this hymn. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Sing it with me. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Why is that? Because on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Here's, here's where we live. All other ground is sinking sand. That's just one of those great hymns, 25 hymns that every Christian ought to know. <laughs> and I love that him, what, what, what does that mean to us as a caregiver today? What does that mean when I go to the, see the doctor about my foot? What does that mean about all the things that we deal with in our day-to-day -day walk as caregivers? My journey has been, where is solid ground? What's solid footing for me? For me as a caregiver, I would find myself floundering, and I didn't know where to go, what to do, how to function. And I was so filled with fear or rage or despair. And again, what was causing this? 
the problem with my foot was caused by something else. I mean, the source of the problem was not where the source of the pain was. Source of the pain was over on the other side of my foot. Source of the problem was in the middle of my foot. And I have to shore that up so that it takes the pressure off that side of my foot. So what's the problem for us as caregivers? Because it's very easy to say, well, if our loved one would just do this, I cannot tell you how many times I have said it or heard it from people. Well, if mama would just not, Gracie, if you just wouldn't, you know, and I cringe over those things, but but I'd be lying to you if I tried to tell you anything different. I mean, I, I am what I am. I mean, I, I've had ample time to make every kind of mistake you can make. I, through a painful series of events and a lot of work, I've come to understand the deeper issue. The problem is me. And in the pressure cooker of caregiving, those problems become extremely apparent. <laughs> I, don't, I think that's probably the best way to say that because everything gets pushed to the surface. What may take a lifetime to manifest itself in some people in the caregiving world, it can come out pretty quick because there's so much pressure. And when you have this relentless pressure over time, like I've had, you have to deal with this stuff. You cannot just sweep it under the rug. You cannot just, well, take a respite from it. Ah, go, you know, be distracted with something else. There is no distraction. It's every day because the pressure is every day. And you got to find solid footing, solid ground. You've got to make peace with these things and learn to stand calmly in it. Otherwise, it'll break you. Which in some respects, breaking you is kind of the point. Because until we are broken, we can't be reassembled. The goal is not for us to stay broken. The goal is for us to be resurrected to be regenerated, to be reestablished in Christ. Galatians, Paul says, you know, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. All right, let's go a little deeper. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. The life I live as a caregiver, I live by faith in the Son of God. See, it gets kind of real there, doesn't it? And this is where I've had to learn to, to walk and where I still am learning. I'm not, I don't own this. I don't think I'm going to own it until I go home to glory. And I think that the advantage I have over most is that I've had to look at this for so long. I've had to wrestle with these same issues for so long. There's no respite for it every day. All day, into the night. And I've got to see myself under this pressure cooker, under the hot lights, since Ronald Reagan was president. So I've had ample time to, to stare at this, to weigh it out. What is the core issue? Where is it really malfunctioning for me? And to avoid that temptation of saying, okay, this is where it hurts, so therefore that must be the problem. It's pinching me over here, but is that the real problem? Another person's behavior may pinch me, but is that the real problem? So I'm grateful that I 
got to go to the doctor's office and see this kind of modeled for me in a different way that I could understand the concept better. And now hopefully apply that standing firm on the foundation of Christ, knowing that the caregiving things that I do and live with may pinch me, but they're not the real problem. There's a much deeper problem. And that is what Christ is working out in me. That is what that journey about trusting Him for everything, standing firm on Him, is all about. It's called sanctification. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be right back. Peter Rosenberger, he's not a preacher, but he's got great hair. Hello, I'm Don Hawkins, here to tell you about Encouragement Live, 55 minutes of industrial strength radio encouragement featuring resourceful guests, plus practical biblical insights to help you face life's challenges. We'll be taking your phone calls, so plan to join us for Encouragement Live, Saturdays at 7.05 p.m. Central, 8.05 p.m. Eastern, here on American Family Radio. This is Frank Gaffney, host of Securing America, a program dedicated to protecting the country we love against all enemies, foreign and domestic, to the glory of God and His kingdom. Each weeknight at 11 p.m. Eastern Time, we provide insights and recommendations about the most important challenges facing our nation from her most thoughtful experts and patriots. Join me to learn how you can help in Securing America right here at 11 p.m. Eastern Time. I feel so hopeless. Hopeless. Is there any hope? I I just feel like there's no hope at all. Is there any hope? Get hope. hope. Last month, I came across Psalms 23 in the Bible. That's TWR President Lauren Libby. I was impressed with, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It occurred to me that since Jesus is my shepherd, provider, and protector, I should not want. God is committed to the needs in our lives, not necessarily wants. Debt is taking future resources, emotionally, physically, financially, or spiritual resources to satisfy current wants, creating a gap or a deficit, and thus creating a debt. Since Jesus is my shepherd, the one who provides and protects me, I have the ability not to be enslaved by my wants. Now that gives hope. Need more hope? We have resources waiting for you, including a free devotional. You'll find them at GetHopeRadio.com. That's GetHopeRadio.com. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. I'm Peter Rosenberger. Glad to have you with us. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. And while you're there, take a look at all the things that we offer. The podcast is free. And there are like almost 700 episodes out there. We have the largest podcast for caregivers in the world. And we would love for you to share it with others. Take advantage of it. Listen to it. Uh, Books, CDs, music, streaming, Blogs, there's all kinds of things out there. And also at Facebook, you could go out to our Facebook group, Hope for the Caregiver. You could join that group. It's a private group that I'm the administrator. I'm the, administrator. I'm the sole administrator of this. And we, I put special things in there, ask questions, talk about things, whatever. If you've got questions or comments, that's the place to do it. 
I want to talk about burnout and something that is near and dear to all our hearts, isn't it? Here are some thoughts that I've had on this. Again, the context is I've been a caregiver for 36 plus years through a relentless medical nightmare. All right. We've had seasons where it wasn't as bad, but when you have the surgery count that Gracie's had and the orthopedic challenges, I, I listened to a top orthopedic surgeon in Denver just a couple of weeks ago, look at her, says, orthopedically, you're about as challenging as it comes. And he wasn't saying that to win, you know, for her to win a prize or anything. He was saying that because he was acknowledging just how difficult her challenges are, and they are. So what does that mean for me as a caregiver? What is burnout? What, what does that look like for you? I was doing some research on this, and Psychology Today says burnout is not simply a result of working long hours or juggling too many tasks, though those both play a role. The cynicism, depression, and lethargy that are characteristic of burnout most often occur when a person is not in control of how a job is carried out at work or at home or is asked to complete tasks that conflict with their sense of self. Equally pressing is working toward a goal that doesn't resonate or when a person lacks support. Don't get ahead of me now. (laughs) If a person doesn't tailor responsibilities to match a true calling or at least take a break once in a while, they could face burnout as well as the mountain of mental and physical health problems that often come along with it, including headaches. You might want to write these down. No, I'm just kidding. You don't need to write them down. We live it. Headaches, fatigues, heartburn, and other gastrointestinal symptoms, as well as increased potential for alcohol, drug, or food misuse. So how do you know if you're burned out? They go on to say in this article there, you get physical and mental exhaustion, a sense of dread about work. Frequent feelings of cynicism, anger, and irritability are key signs of burnout. How many of you resonate with this right this moment? Let me repeat this line again. Equally pressing is working toward a goal that doesn't resonate or when a person lacks support. How many of you all feel like as caregivers, a goal that doesn't resonate describes our life? What is the goal here? Where are we going with this? What are we trying to achieve here? And part of the journey for us as caregivers is that we have to reestablish those goals for ourselves and possibly for our loved one, but mostly for ourselves. Because so many of us are in custodial mode. It's not going to go towards a happy goal. There's no place where we plant our flag and say, success, we've done it. And now we move on to the next thing the best that many caregivers can hope for is a funeral. I just went to a memorial service last week for such an event where my friend's father was elderly. His mind was gone. And there's no hope that it's going to be a better life. They just want to keep him comfortable till he dies. And when he did, there's a sense of, Okay, I I kept him comfortable and did the best I could. But there was no victory in the sense where, hey, look at what we accomplished, other than just keeping somebody comfortable and not dying. 
That's a bleak set of circumstances. And when you work under those kinds of parameters, it's easy to see why so many become discouraged and burned out. Where is this going? When you have somebody with mental health issues, where is this going? It's not necessarily terminal. Is it going to have a a goal that resonates, as Psychology Today said? What about a child with autism or Down syndrome? You have to adjust the way you look at life and the parameters that you judge success by. And these are things that Gracie and I have had to have serious conversations about. What does life look like with this type of debilitating set of challenges? Can you live life joyfully and excitingly? Is there, as again, this quote says, a goal that resonates that keeps you energized and keeps us from going down in this despair and burnout? I think there is. This is why I do this program. This is why I write books. This is why I write articles. This is why I do all the things that I do to remind myself and as many others as I possibly can that there is a way to live life in the midst of this without it tearing you apart. It doesn't mean it won't be difficult because it is and it will be. Doesn't mean that you're not going to have great sadness and sorrow and struggles and all of the above, because you will. But you're going to have that regardless. Okay? There is no way around that. If you're a caregiver of any kind, you're going to have discouraging things. You're going to have painful, painful circumstances in your life. You're going to have it no matter what. The question is can you live productively? Can you dig deeper? Can you find that goal that resonates? Can you find that um, place where you're feeling satisfied in who you are and in what you're doing? Even in the midst of being a caregiver, full-time caregiver. No matter what the other person does, no matter what the other circumstances are, can you find meaning in this? for yourself, and I suggest to you that you can. And the reason I can say that is because I have, and I do. I love what I get to do, and I have worked hard to find a way to be productive and to be purpose-driven, if you will, in this. Not just reeling from one setback after another, and hoping that if we get through this, then I can get on with my life. Once I made that acceptance that this is my life, and it's not going to change outside of death, this is my life. That conversation with myself about acceptance was a game changer for me. And I realized that there were opportunities to me if I was willing to be creative, ask for help, push myself, and release a lot of bitterness. Those things did not come easy, and they really don't come very naturally to me. They may come naturally to you, but they don't come naturally to me. And I had to struggle with that. And this is why I talk about my faith a lot on this program. I I had a friend of mine tell me, he said, are you limiting your audience by talking about 
Christianity so much and about religion. And what he meant was by talking so much about Jesus. Because let's face it, you could talk about God all day long, and people don't really get that worked up about it. But you talk about Jesus, and it's a flashpoint. So why do I do it? Well, this is how I function as a caregiver. And I feel a responsibility and a privilege to be able to tell others, okay, this is how I am finding strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow, as the hymn says. This is how I do it. I don't have any tricks or tips or great cleverness on on the function of caregiver. I reached the end of all of my abilities on every level. I could basically be the poster child for burnout that psychology today and other people use. And at that point, instead of just laying there, just giving up, I was invited to trust God that the redemptive work of Christ meant something to me as a caregiver. I was invited to go on this journey of saying, okay, I've tried it my way. And I had to ask myself, how's that working out for you? Not too good. (laughs) It didn't work out too well at all. What have I got to lose? And I listened and believed. And I started incorporating these biblical principles that I share with you on this program. Day in and day out, I started thinking about what it meant to trust Christ in this. What it meant when Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. What I just shared in the last block. What does that mean as a caregiver? As a caregiver, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. You know, and I've heard all the God talk, all the God words that people said, you know, all these things. Trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. You just need to trust Jesus. It is so sweet to trust in Jesus. And I've heard this over and over and over again. I heard the words. I could repeat them back to you, backwards and forwards. But I didn't understand what it meant to me as a caregiver, what it meant to trust Christ with this. I looked through all of Scripture. People said, Jesus knows. Jesus knows. I looked through all of Scripture. I never saw anywhere where there was a man taking care of a woman through 80-something surgeries and both legs amputated. But then I stepped back and saw the whole of Scripture. Did you know that Jesus is referred to as the bridegroom and that the church is referred to as the bride of Christ? But we're a messed up group of people, aren't we? I mean, think about it. Think about every church you know, everybody in church you know, wherever two or three are gathered, there's problems. We're a messed up, broken, wounded bunch of people. And Jesus is the bridegroom for that bride, for us. You know what that means? It means I have a Savior who's in love with a wounded bride, just like me. I have a Savior that understands everything I struggle with. That's what that means. And that's why I have hope. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be right back.
Have you ever struggled to trust God when lousy things happen to you? I'm Gracie Rosenberger, and in 1983, I experienced a horrific car accident leading to 80 surgeries and both legs amputated. I questioned why God allowed something so brutal to happen to me, but over time, my questions changed, and I discovered courage to trust God. That understanding, along with an appreciation for quality prosthetic limbs, led me to establish Standing with Hope. For more than a dozen years, we've been working with the government of Ghana and West Africa, equipping and training local workers to build and maintain quality prosthetic limbs for their own people. On a regular basis, we purchase and ship equipment and supplies, and with the help of inmates in a Tennessee prison, we also recycle parts from donated limbs. All of this is to point others to Christ, the source of my hope and strength. Please visit StandingWithHope.com to learn more and participate in lifting others up. That's StandingWithHope.com. I'm Gracie, and I am Standing With Hope. Hi, I'm Steve Tiber with 8 Days of Hope. The fastest growing crime in America and across the world is sex trafficking. We're talking about millions of lives every day, even children. Do you know the average age of a child who is trafficked is 12 years old? I know it's not a fun subject to talk about, but God has called the church to take its blinders off and help end this human tragedy. Eight Days of Hope has decided to be a part of that solution. God's opened up a door for us to partner with existing ministries, and that's where we bring skilled volunteers to renovate rebuild or remodel facility for survivors to receive the emotional, physical, and spiritual healing they need. If you're skilled in any trade and you want to use your gifts for a greater purpose, please contact us at safehouse at 8daysofhope.com. We would love for you to join us on our next project. For more information about the ministry of 8 Days of Hope, please go to 8daysofhope.com. That's 8daysofhope.com. Do you see? Do you see? All the people sinking down Don't you care, don't you care Are you gonna let them drown How can you be so numb Not to care if they come You close your eyes and pretend the job's done Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. That is Keith Green. And I love that song. It encapsulates what this show is all about and why I do it. Do you see? Do you see? And I'm not asking you that question. I'm asking that of myself. Do I see? And when I do this program and when I write books and when I write articles, I'm doing these things with a sense of urgency because I recognize the plight that so many find themselves in right now. Remember that passage in Matthew chapter 9 where Jesus, and I'm going to read this from the message. This is from the message. Then Jesus made a circuit of all the towns and villages. This is verse 35. He taught in their meeting places, reported kingdom news, and healed their diseased bodies, healed their bruised and hurt lives. When he looked out over the crowds, his heart broke. So confused and aimless they were, like sheep with no shepherd. What a huge harvest, he said to his disciples. How few workers. On your knees and pray for harvest hands. Do you see the harvest? Do you see it around you? Do you see the distress? It's easy, I think, to draw lines in the sand and say, okay, well, they believe this, so therefore they're bad. I did something I shouldn't have done, probably. Well, I don't know. But there was a 
political figure on Twitter who posted something out about being, a, you know, not going to be afraid or such and such. And I just simply posted a scripture there, said, I, I love this scripture in Isaiah. When the Lord talks about, don't be afraid, I will guard you with my right hand. I said, That's all I did. I just said, I just posted a scripture. I love this, this scripture. And I looked at all the vitriolic comments because people evidently hated this individual. Actually, more specifically, this individual's father. And they hated him. And they, would, they wrote, tweeted back to me, that scripture is only for the righteous. That scripture doesn't apply to anybody in this guy's orbit. And I simply made one statement. That scripture applies to every orbit. And who is righteous that doesn't need a savior? That's it. I'm not. Twitter is a place where basically it's a, a cage match for people that don't want to get hit. I don't particularly like going out there much. I do sometimes, but I try to avoid it and just post pictures of horses. <laughs> you know, just simply because it's social media has just become such a, a sewer. But every now and then, you, you kind of have to see it. You have to see the sewer. You have to see it for what it is. And as Jesus said, pray on your knees and pray for harvest hands. And do we do that? Do we know what to say? Do we know how to respond? Do we know how to ask better questions? With that in mind, I want to have a discussion with you in this last block about something that's been troubling me and things I've been seeing on the news, if you'll indulge me. Gracie's a double amputee, both legs, below the knee. And I remember the struggles that she and I had together as she wrestled with that decision to give those legs up. They were so damaged, and they were so broken, and they were truly causing her enormous amount of pain and were going to only get worse. And there's no coming back from amputation. You know, once you make that decision, that's it. Imagine, if you will, that one of our sons, while she was wrestling with that decision, and they were, Parker was a little boy, Grayson wasn't born yet, and then she gave up her remaining leg after Grayson was born when he was a toddler. Imagine, if you will, if either of our children had said, I want to identify as an amputee like mom. I want to be inclusive with mom. And I want to have my leg taken off so that I can be like mom. And imagine, however horrifyingly it may be, that either Gracie or me had given consent to that, parental consent. What would you think of a physician, of a surgeon, who accommodated that desire? Would you think that would be appropriate? Would you look at that surgeon with respect and feel that surgeon is doing a, a good thing? Or would you be horrified? Does the surgeon have any culpability? Even with parental consent to have treatment like that on a minor who says, I want to do this. In fact, I ask you if anybody that you knew seriously said, even as an adult, I want to amputate my left hand or my right hand or my left leg or my left right leg so that I can identify as an amputee. Would you think that they were okay? Would you think that they were mentally impaired? Would you 
try to point them to help? Or would you affirm that decision? Maybe they really want to identify as an amputee. Maybe that's something that's important to them. Maybe they feel more included if, if they were an amputee. How would you respond to this? This is what's happening in our culture right now with minors. And they call it things like gender-affirming care. But in reality, there are physicians who, under the cloak of parental consent, are doing this to children. It's bad enough to do it to adults, but to do it to children and say, we're going to amputate part of your body. We're going to surgically change you. And there's no going back from this. Gracie and I know there's no going back from amputation. Once it's gone, it's gone. How do we respond to this? I'm asking the question, and I'm framing the conversation differently than all the gobbledygook that you hear. There's a word salad that people use when they don't really want to speak plainly. And that's why you see in Scripture where Jesus said, let your yes be yes, yes, let your no be no. You don't need to use verbal linguine when you're just speaking the truth. See, we don't know what truth is anymore, do we? As a society, we can't agree on this. If you go back and look at, you know, Pilate asking Jesus, what is truth? Jesus said, I am the truth. He didn't say, here's the truth. He said, I am the truth and the way and the life. And as I said in the last block, it's, it's very offensive to the world to talk about Jesus. He said it would be. They hate me, they're going to hate you. It's very offensive. You can talk about God all day long. You can say things about the universe and everything else, but you say something about Jesus, and it causes people to absolutely become enraged. And yet, we have a responsibility to proclaim this great redemption that reaches into these places where people are troubled, so troubled that they want to do things that are horrific, mutilate themselves. Now, before you think this is theory, that I'm just kind of throwing out hypothetical, I have been around a lot of amputees in my life. And there are groups of people out there who want to amputate parts of their bodies. I have met some of these individuals who actually did this. And it's gruesome. They would saw off fingers. I've seen it. Okay, I'm not making this up because they wanted to identify a certain way. There are a lot of people who are hurting in this world. And they will go to extreme measures to do anything they could possibly think of to ease that pain, to stop that pain, to medicate that pain. As caregivers, we understand that, don't we? Because we know what it's like to feel desperate, what it's like to feel hurting. And that's why it is, to me, this is the urgency I have with this program, because I know what this is like to push yourself to, to go into... I got to do something to stop hurting. 
I look with great compassion at people who are troubled in this manner. And it's hard because sometimes they're so filled with rage that all you see is the rage. But if you can ever just kind of push that aside and ask the Lord to give you ears to hear and eyes to see so that you can see beyond it and speak to the pain that they have. There's such a thing as called an angry wound. When you have an angry wound, it's all inflamed and festering and, and everything else. But, but there's a real wound. I don't have the answers, and I would never pro- proclaim that I do. But I do sense the urgency that we have as believers to be bold and to be forthright and to speak plainly to people in their distress, in their heartache. This isn't happening out there. This is happening right beside each of us. We're all faced with all kinds of things right up close and personal with us. We don't have to go looking for dysfunction. It's all around us. The question is, are we going to be a source of light, direction, clarity, compassion, and truth? Or are we going to just be passive, enabling, and apathetic. I can't do that. We're going to talk about this some more in coming shows, but I wanted to introduce the concept today. Thank you for your time. Thank you for trusting me with this hour. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll see you next time. Do you see, do you see all the people sinking down? Don't you care, don't you care Are you gonna let them drown? How can you be so numb Not to care if they come You close your eyes And pretend the job's done The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.